Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. It's good to be able to be up here to share God's word with you this morning. As we continue in our series all about the future, the first letter of Peter. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, where we could just come and learn more about you. Lord, let your word affect our lives, Lord, and let us leave, uh, not as we came, but changed. Uh, Lord, let everything we say and do bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was searching the internet this week, uh, just for different things uh, that has to do with this sermon, I came across some really, really, really strange phobias. Um, so I figured it would be a little, it would be fun this morning to play What's That Phobia, okay? I'm going to say a phobia, and you guys have to guess what it is. Here's our first one. This will be fun, trust me. Hippopotamomonstrosis quipdeliophobia. I think I nailed that. Or I cast a spell on you guys. I don't know which one it was. It's the fear of long words. Which is kind of cruel if you have it, because if someone asks you what's wrong with you, you can't tell them because you're scared of that. <laughs> the next one's nomophobia. Any, any guesses? Nomophobia. I, I, this is probably something that the younger generation is deathly afraid of. It is fear of not having a cell phone. <laughs> it's a real thing. The next one's Venus, Venus trophobia. I suffer from this sometimes. It's the fear of beautiful women. <laughs> you ever seen my wife angry? Uh, this one, uh, you're, you're probably going to get phobia, phobia. Fear, fear. There you go. That's it, which is really weird. So you're scared that you're not scared of things. I don't know what that means. The next one. Uh, your neighbor, next you might be suffering from this one, but don't let anybody know because it's rude. Ablutophobia. Ablutophobia. It is actually the fear of washing or bathing. <laughs> and this last one I just threw in there because I thought it was funny. I thought it was odd. Turophobia. Turophobia is the fear of cheese. I mean, I've heard of lactose intolerant, but fear of cheese. I guess you couldn't be a Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> See, some of these fears to us seem really, really silly, right? It's like, how can you be afraid of cheese? You know, or how could you be afraid of long words? How, how can you be afraid of some of these things? But there are some things in life that we can all identify with, right? Things that we are really afraid of. Uh, this world can be a very, very scary place. Um, how about common Christian fears? Okay, we're Christians trying to flesh out our, our faith in, in a secular world. Sometimes that could be a little hard, right? Right? Okay. Just make sure you guys out there? Okay, good. All right, so what are some of the things that Christians are, are commonly uh, not really afraid of, but something that gives them anxiety, some things that they're, they're fearful to do? It's is kind of what our mindset would be. You know, what about hard times and trouble? I mean, we still fear those things sometimes, right? 
even though God's word gives us confidence and stuff, we, we're still, you know, we have to live every day. We got to pay bills and we got to go to work and we got to deal with uh, people that, you know, aren't necessarily nice to us. Uh, you know, sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we go through things. So that's something that we commonly uh, fear, uh, are afraid of. What about the fear of rejection for living your faith out? We, we live in a, in a culture that doesn't necessarily like when you live different to how culture says you should. Or you view something a little bit different than the way the world says you should view it. Sometimes that, that gets us down, that, that we're afraid you know, to you know, come against things or speak God's truth and in, in, in what we believe and the way we flesh it out because we, you know, there's rejection and trouble comes from the, the world. How about fears or, uh, of your doubts? I know this is something that a lot of Christians shrug off and they don't really like to talk about. But uh, as I like to, to tell uh, my students sometimes, if you're reading the Bible every day, you're going to run into some difficult things. You're going to run into some things that are hard to understand or things that you don't understand about God. And sometimes those even form into doubts. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, it's okay. It's okay, and we're, we're going to learn why that's okay. What do you think the number one fear of a Christian living in today's culture is? Persecution? Okay. That kind of is an overarching thing. How about sharing your faith or sharing the gospel? If I asked everybody in here, hey, listen, right now we're going to go across the street, or we're going to go to a big event and share our faith one-on-one, -on -one, or... With someone this week, I want you to pull them aside and I want you to share your faith or share the gospel. Immediately, your heart starts beating a little bit faster. Oh, how would I do that? What exactly would I say? I mean, I know the gospel. I know the truth. How would I work that into the conversation? How, how do I do that? That is actually the number one fear of Christians is being able to uh, share your faith or share the gospel without feeling that rejection or feeling to be made silly. So these are all things that, that, that Christians deal with all the time. So I hope today that we get to dispel some of these fears. Our, today our sermon title is Fear Not to Do Good. Fear not to do good. Because sometimes as we go about our Christian lives and, and we're trying our best to flesh it out, we're trying to do the things that God wants us to do, we're trying to say the things God wants us to say, we're trying to be the people that God calls us to be, and it's hard. We face fears, we face anxieties. Listen, we're good at making excuses, amen? amen. I was going to do that, but dot, dot, dot. So this is why we're going to uh, go through today. Fear Fear not to do good. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles, if not, it's up on the screen. Let's delve into our, our text. Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And this is why we take all this and we say, when we set our hearts to honor God, we can live life without fear. When we set our hearts to honor God, we can live without fear. So let's break this down, starting in verse 13, to find out why this is true. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous, if you are zealous for what is good? Now, at face value, this almost kind of seems like karma, doesn't it? Like, if you go out and do good things, good things will happen to you. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? It is not. And it's funny to me because, a lot, to me, a lot of Christians seem to live their life like we're experiencing karma. If I'm good enough or if I do enough good things, God will bless me and, and I'll have good things in my life. This is not. This is kind of what Peter's writing here. It's almost like a proverb. You know, proverbs are a practice. They're not a promise. So if you read Proverbs and you see stuff uh, that it, it seems like a promise, it's, it's best practice for best results. So merely what Peter's saying here, if you go out and you do good things and you're zealous about it, you're zealous for loving people, you're zealous for helping your neighbor, you're zealous for doing these good things, more than likely, good things will happen in your life. What you're doing is that you're surrounding yourself with good people. You're loving your neighbor, and, and sometimes they'll even love you back. You're creating this culture where more than likely good things will happen to you. But we know that's not always the case, correct? We live in a sin-cursed, sin-filled world, so we don't always get paid back with goodness. Sometimes we get repaid with evil. So that's why Peter goes into the next verse. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Think about that. Peter's saying, even if, even if you love on your neighbor, even if you're doing all the right things, you're trying to sow good things into your life, even when you suffer because of that, don't fear because you will be blessed. How? How are we blessed with that? We're blessed because we get to experience the love and the power of God in our lives. Do we not have a good father who loves us? Yeah, you could say it. Yes, we do. Right? Does he not want good things for our lives? Absolutely. But even when we go through and we suffer, we have a father who is full of power and glory and majesty that will get us through that. Without, without God, I don't understand how I used to make it through hard times. I was saved at a, at a late age in life, 27 years old, and no wonder why I was stressed out all the time and had no hope because I didn't have a father in heaven who loved me. So this is why we get to say with these uh, two verses, we do not fear good or bad things happening to us because we have chosen to live good lives for God. This is going to be kind of the theme, and you'll pick up on it as we go through point for point. But it's all about a choice. When we choose to just sell out and we choose to do it God's way, good things will happen. And we don't have to give in to our fears. Next, we get into verse 15. 
But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter moves from, you know, fleshing it out, doing good to others, uh, making sure that we're living the lives God wants us to live, regardless of if we suffer. But then he says this. It moves into the sharing your faith section. He says this. When someone asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, this happens. If you're really fleshing it out, you're really doing it God's way, people will take notice. People will come to you and say, how is it that you have this hope and this peace? How is it that when you go through the same things in life that others go through, you still have a smile? It seems like you're, you're like Teflon, nonstick. These things just melt off you. They just wash off your back. How is that? This is the portion where we should be able to share our faith with people. Again, like I said before, this is the number one fear of Christians these days. So Peter kind of gives us this three-step process. Do you want to be able to share your faith and share the gospel without fear? Peter's going to give you three things to do. The step one is this in the, in the first part of 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. This is the first step. What does this mean? This means that we set our hearts to honor God no matter what. So how do we do that? Listen to what one commentator said uh, about this verse. We honor God in our hearts when we with sincerity and fervency adore him. When our thoughts of him are sacred and full of awe. We are consumed in him and in his power and it overtakes our lives. This is what it means. When we realize that we serve a God who created an entire universe by the words of his mouth, a universe so big we can't even number the stars. We don't even know how big it is. This God loves us. So we stand in awe of who he is and awe of what he can do through us. That is what it means to first honor God in our hearts. As Mike and Zara sang before, if God is for us, who could be against us? Step two is this, and this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. He says, always be ready, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's inside you. This is where it gets a little funny. This is where we, we back up, whoa, but what if I, I share something with them and, and they call me stupid? What if I share something with them and they're like, I, I, that doesn't even make sense. This is where apologetics come in. And if you've never heard of apologetics, basically it's, uh, it comes from this verse to make a defense, apologia, Greek for defense, you're not apologizing to anybody, you're making a defense or you're giving reasons for why you believe what you believe. Does that make sense? Which comes in really handy when people ask you, why do you believe what you believe? Because sometimes they will. This is where apologetics comes in. See, it's comprised of the teachings that delves into philosophy, science, logic, 
history, and it helps people understand God in a way where we can explain why we believe what we believe about him. Let me give you some examples. Mike, have the can, please. Okay, science has proven that we don't need God as a creator, right? Science has it all figured out. So when you talk about this, the God as the creator, you're, you're just spouting fairy tales and myths, right? Billions of years ago, out of nothing, minerals and, and different uh, atoms formed together to fall down into a perfect cylinder shape. On the top, it formed into this, this awesome pattern, which seems to fit the human mouth. Not only that, it's got this really neat function to where you push it, whatever evolved over millions of years formed inside it and is good for us to drink. Then, out of nowhere, pigments fell from the sky in different colors so that we can understand something intelligent and it, and it, and it transfers a message to our minds, which developed by themselves as well. <laughs> so that we can know what's inside this can. That's what an atheist has to believe in order to believe that there's not a creator. Everything, everything. Now this is science. I'm gonna give you guys some science this morning and that's okay. Science says everything that exists has a cause. Every single thing you see around you that exists has a cause. Something made it, something created it. It's a byproduct of it, and it was for a specific function. It would be like me saying that can accidentally came together, um, has, a, has a perfect function for me drinking it. Or actually, uh, Hope did this morning, and I snagged it from her before she went back. But... That's what they have to believe. So when we nicely point this out to somebody, it makes them start to think. Well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. We see creation. It must have a creator, or at least it must have a cause. Another thing I hear often, Jesus, who's this Jesus? I bet you that he didn't even exist. The Bible just makes these things up about this guy that lived during the Bronze Age and makes up all these things about what he did and said. I mean, really, it's nonsense. You guys really believe that. I hear that often. Well, I can tell you this morning that no serious historian makes that claim anymore. Now, many of them aren't going to buy into the fact that he's God because they're not Christians. But there is no more denying that the man Jesus Christ actually existed, that he actually did this, the things the Bible said he did, and things, the things that happened to him actually happened to him. When you start to say things like that, people are like, really? Well, where's your evidence? Well, we have, thing, we have uh, the Jewish historian Josephus. He wrote many, many things about Jesus. Listen to why that's important. He was a Jewish historian. The last thing the Jews wanted was for Jesus to be real. But yet it exists in writing. 
we have the Roman historian Tacitus. The Roman Empire really didn't like Christianity in the beginning. It was a thorn in their side. The Roman Empire would not want Jesus to be real. But yet it exists. See, it's little things like this. And you know what? That's not the gospel. It, it, it's not. I can't say to you with 100% confidence that, that it's the same thing as when I read you scripture out of God's holy word. But I can tell you this. As human beings fumbling through this earth trying to figure everything out, science and history and all those things has nothing on that. Has nothing on that. Here's why that's important. This as Christians helps us to cement our faith. It helps to encourage us so that when we go out and we share our faith, we have something else to share. We have evidence and reason why we believe what we believe. It helps us to pass down this to our children and to our grandchildren because as we're about to discuss, they live in an information age that we could not even fathom when we were their age. Listen, this helps you share your faith. Who here likes to be made to, be, to feel stupid? Nobody. It's, 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 really, it's really that easy. I don't like to be made to feel stupid. So when I share my faith, if somebody just immediately strikes down everything I'm saying and going, well, we know this is true because of science, and we know this is true because history, and we know this is true because, you know, of biology, and you just say you know what, that's not actually true. If you really think about this and you really look at it this way, maybe you don't have all the answers. And this does something to people. Let me make sure that every time I talk about apologetics, I always go back to this. I know as a pastor, and I always preach every time, we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. There is nothing else. There is no other way. We are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by grace through apologetics. We are not saved by grace through many good arguments. But what this does is this kind of unlocks, it kind of unlocks the part of the mind that enables you to give the gospel. But also, here's another thought. God is the God of science and history and math and biology and reason and logic. Is he not? So why in the world is Christians and his children will we just turn all that over to the secular world and say, you know what, guys? You take all of this, all these tools that God gave us to figure him out. Do you know that the majority of scientists and philosophers in back in the day were Christians or at least deists? Because it wasn't because they were trying to find a way that things could exist away from, apart from God. They were trying to figure out, God, how does your creation work? Why? If he is the father, if he is the God, if he is the creator of all those things, why would we just turn them over to the secular world and have nothing to do with them? Here's another big reason. We're failing our children. We're failing our grandchildren. There's been many, 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 many studies um, 
done over the past uh, 10, 20 years, why is the youth of America, why, why do they graduate high school and graduate church? Why are they leaving the church in mass exodus? Listen to a couple of things. Now, this was a, a study done about Christian teenagers or, or young adults that attended Sunday school every Sunday. So this isn't just your nominal kid who calls themselves a Christian. This is somebody that had sat here in, in these chairs and sat in there and, and was taught and heard the word. They sat in Sunday schools and, and heard, you know, teaching there ever since they were little kids. This is what they said. This is a large majority of them. My pastor tells us good moral stories about how God loves us. But my teachers and professors deal with facts and are trustworthy when trying to figure out the truth about the world around us. Did you catch that? Here, we just tell them good stories. Hey, there's this God that loves you. Here's what happened, you know, so many thousands of years ago. Here's the good moral story of that. Now go on your way. What would happen if we started at a very, very young age to start to give evidence to these children that these things are history? These things really took place. As sensational as some of them are, these things really took place by real people in real times, and we can read all about them. It starts to develop that base. It starts to develop that, that idea that we do have the truth. This is the truth. Listen, according to science and the law of non-contradiction, this is either the truth or it's not. There is no in-between. And this is kind of the, the idea that we have to give our children. They're in such an information age. How do they settle arguments? Hey, I think so-and-so... A uh, music star is 35. No, I think they're 45. Let's bust our phone out and find out the truth. That's how they view everything. So if we're not giving them anything, if we're not giving them how to defend what, why they believe what they believe, it's all surface. It's all surface level faith. So we need to learn as a church Step two, be ready to give a defense. And that means knowing why you believe what you believe. Step three is this, as it says at the end of that verse. But do this with gentleness and respect. I, I see a lot of people uh, out on Facebook or other media websites that I like to call keyboard warriors. And they're like, oh, yeah, you said that? Well, Take that. And it's this nonsensical back and forth in between of people just saying mean, nasty things to each other because they don't agree with each other. That is not constructive for anything. I don't know where we took a turn in our culture, but hey, if I don't agree with you, you're a jerk. It should be, hey, listen, I don't agree with you, and here's why. And then what I'm going to do is something weird. Then I'm going to listen to your reason why you believe what you believe. And we may not change each other's minds, but at least we come away from that conversation with understanding of somebody else. 
So whenever apologetics is applied and whenever I try to quote-unquote debate somebody on some, some of these things, I have to remember it's not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts for the gospel. Amen? Amen. One of my favorite apologists, uh, and he's a, he does open-air evangelism, and I talk about him all the time, Ray Comfort, um, and he, he has this... Uh, he has this thing called Way of the Master, and he teaches people to evangelize like Jesus did. One of the things he does, and he's a super smart guy, you know, but you don't have to be. You just have to know a couple of basic things. So this is for anybody, and he actually teaches people how to, how to do this, and you get better with it the more that you do. But what he likes to do is he likes to strike down intellectual arguments so that he can go from the intellect to dealing with the heart. That's what apologetics is for. Apologetics without good theology is garbage. It is worthless and it is only good for arguing. But, argue, arguing. but when done correctly, you can move from the intellect to the heart to give somebody the gospel, which is the only thing that can actually save them. Why do I believe that this is something that's very important? I can give you a list of names of people that have come to Christ this way, big names. You've got Lee Strobel. A lot of you have heard about him. He was a, uh, a writer and investigator for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, you have this guy, J.L. Wallace, who's one of the top cold case de detectives in the United States. So he looks at every, he looks at cases that, you know, are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and he solves them. Well, when he looked at the claims of the gospel under that, under that lens and, 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 and examined the evidence, it brought his heart to a place to believe. You have Josh McDowell, who is an avid atheist and thought that if he could just come up with a few good arguments because Christianity couldn't possibly stand up to an intellectual uh, uh, argument, he was, uh, I think he was over in a church over uh, in Europe, some 500-year-old church reading through scripts and papyrus trying to figure out what exactly happened during there. And he goes, wow, there it is. There, there it is. This, there's evidence that this guy Jesus existed. It opened his heart to the gospel. That is the point of all this. So, but we need to remember to do this with gentleness and respect because that is, that is the whole point. So we learn, have no fear of loving and reaching others with the gospel because we have set our hearts to honor God. And that is why we can say, when we set our hearts to honor God, we can live without fear. That's what this is all about. When we set our hearts to honor God, we know that we can live without fear. Okay, so what happens if we're doing everything right? And, and, it, and it's still not going right with somebody and they're still upset with us and they still don't like what we're saying. That's okay, because Peter goes into this. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I often think of this when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, and it happens a lot. Um, not that I share the gospel a lot, but when I'm doing it, this happens a lot. They reject it. And they reject me, and they reject what I'm saying. Boo-hoo. Right? If really what it's really about is glorifying God and doing the things we're supposed to be doing, boo-hoo. But what's even more important than that is I think about this. 
what's going to happen when that person dies and they're standing before Christ? What's going to happen? Are they going to be able to say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. I would have believed in you if you, not, you just had not sent somebody to just tell me what the truth was. And I believe he's going to play that back. Do you remember when so-and-so sat with you? What did they say to you? In a loving manner, because they cared about your eternal soul, they said X, Y, and Z. And you mocked them and you reviled them for what they did for you. You slandered them as fools. That is going to be to their shame. So we have... No fear being slandered by unbelievers because one day it'll be to their shame. It's a very sad thing. So Peter kind of wraps it up here with verse 17, and, and this kind of encompasses everything. Um, you know, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. I mean, if you really think about that and you break that down, there's nothing that we're going to experience in life that is so terrible that is going to be e that is going to be able to be equal to the glory of God and what we get to experience in heaven it's it, I can't even imagine I can't even wrap my mind around what that's going to be like to spend eternity with an all-powerful God who loves us dearly like children we get to experience that so what Peter is wrapping up here saying it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Some people don't like that part. Let me just share with you really quickly as we move through this verse. There's been times in my life where I was made to suffer because of the consequences of some things that I did, but God allowed me to go through it because he wanted to either, A, me to grow through it or to get my attention. We are stubborn and we are selfish, amen? amen? And sometimes, like I like to say, God needs to let the slapping happen. Sometimes that's the only way I learn. Ask my wife. I have a very thick skull. But even if we suffer, if it's God's will, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Again, those that do evil and those that live to please themselves, they're going to suffer just like us. They have to suffer without the hope of eternity. They have to suffer knowing that they got themselves into this and they're suffering because of the things that they did. They have to suffer knowing that there is no hope and there is, there is nothing that's going to get them through that and they don't get to, they don't get to focus on the eternal glory of God. Suffering, from, suffering for doing good equals eternity, eternal glory with God. Suffering for doing bad equals eternal separation from God. And that's why we can say this. We have no fear of suffering for doing God's work because our suffering produces eternal blessings. And that's why we close with this main point. When we set our hearts to honor God, we can live without fear. As we discussed early in the beginning of this, Christians have fears like anybody else. Amen? Amen. We're not impervious to suffering. We're not impervious to uh, difficult situations.
but we really need to start looking at them differently. So let me ask this, do you fear the unknown things in life or are you trusting in your heavenly father who loves you? Are you worried about the doubts even with your own faith? Even with the own, the, your own um, idea of who God is. You know what? God's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. He is a huge God that wants you to get those questions answered. He wants you to know why you believe what you believe. Are you scared sharing the gospel? Or do you feel uncomfortable talking about your faith and sharing your faith with people? Well, I tell you what, if you said your heart to honor God, you can do that without fear. If you understand why you believe what you believe, you can do it without fear. And you will be more successful than not if you can do that in a loving, respectful way. Does suffering in this world give you fear? Or are you focused on the hope of eternity with your Father? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we can know you. Thank you that when we set our hearts to honor you above all things, there is no need to fear all these things around us that plague our lives. I pray for those who don't know you on this level, Lord, and that they may come to know you like this one day. They get the benefits of knowing you and seeing your glory and their, your power in their lives, Lord. And that is just when we simply sell out to you and we obey you, that we get to experience these things. I pray you remind us of all these things as we go about our lives this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praises, your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praises, your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you great are you lord thank you for joining us today for more information look us up on our website www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email connect at villasgrace.com